How do we build a church? Before answering how to build a church, I'll point out how not to build a church. And to do that, I'll address our 21st century American context. So since the late 20th century, our culture here in the United States adopted a new philosophy and mindset called postmodernism. And it's the rejection of all things objective and absolute. In other words, there is no the truth. There's just my truth and your truth. Because of this, many say perception is reality. And for this reason, many object, uh, reject objective reality, morality, reason, and so on. And included in this is a rejection of objective beauty. So many wrongfully conclude that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Beauty for them is not objective and universal. Rather, it too is only subjective and up to personal taste. This is also where modern idolatry of feelings came from. Because it no longer matters what something is, it only matters how you feel about it. Modern art and music adopted postmodernism, and this is why they're both so bad. They're not only devoid of any true or valuable meaning, but they're also displeasing to the eye. The majority of modern art is vulgar and unnatural. Along with this came the movement for modern architecture. Now, modern architecture came about in, take a guess, the 1960s. It was a reaction against what was widely accepted as beautiful, true, and good. And this is where bad architecture comes from. Buildings were built not for the sake of beauty, but for the sake of rejecting it or as an attempt to redefine beauty. Now, if you'd like to read a more professional critique on modern architecture, read Tom Wolfe's From Bauhaus to Our House. Sadly, many Christians conformed themselves to the world and adopted postmodernist thought, and they did this not only theologically, but also artistically. In fact, the two go hand in hand. Theologically, liberal churches are found in modern architectural buildings. Sadly, Lutheran pastors and congregations jumped on the bandwagon, and they rejected objective beauty too. They rejected good hymns and opted for new contemporary worship. They rejected the historic liturgy and chose to create a new service each Sunday, only to be disposed of the very next day. They replaced ornate communion vessels with disposable plastic cups and things that are thrown into the trash. Fixed pews were torn out and movable chairs were brought in, and they began, they began to change the liturgy and order of the service in the name of variety and change. And they took down crucifixes and instead they put up screens. They tore down the chancel and built a stage. They hid the altar and they put up a band. The altar, the pulpit, the lectern, and the crucifix were no longer beautiful and good and true things handed down from generations of Christians. Rather, they were things that simply got in the way. Now, we've seen congregations ruin their beautiful historic sanctuaries. They gut them of all art and they replace it all with designs and abstract art. Even more when they were able to raise enough funds, they built buildings that were pragmatic and not beautiful. They opted for minimalism, simply four walls and a roof. And this is where the big box church came from, that whole fad. Churches looked like warehouses and factories. And the goal was to create a building so empty and void of any symbolism and meaning that it could be redefined over and over again. 
The building itself was designed to be disposable. This was the only way churches could keep up with the times. Thus, the multi-purpose room. Congregations replaced the historical and meaningful and true with the daring and disposable and new. And the sanctuary was gone. Long gone was the need for something objective and permanent and durable. If the church was to keep up with the times, sanctuaries would only hold them back, tying them down to the past. Now, I could say much about the dangerous and dire consequences of postmodern thought. We don't have the time to deal with it all now, but I'm preaching to the choir. You know and believe in objective truth and beauty. However, I'm telling you the story of how we got here so that we don't repeat the error. Everything we do, every mindset, every phrase and saying is important. What we think and adopt as our worldview changes everything, art, literature, architecture, and life itself. So before we can talk about anything else, we need to remind ourselves that we are not postmodernists. We are Christians. We believe in God. And because of this, we believe in objective beauty, absolute truth, and universal good. We believe that some things are indeed more beautiful and better than other things. The things that come from God and point to God are objectively more beautiful and good. So having said that, we ought to consider what architecture is. Architecture comes from the Greek words archi, which means chief, and tekton, which means creator. So it's the chief creator. An architect is someone who plans and designs and supervises the construction of a building. He's the chief creator of that building. Architects design homes and workplaces and skyscrapers and cars and so on. And there are good and bad architects. There is good and bad architecture. And we need the wisdom to know the difference between the two. So how do we know this? When it comes to designing and building a sanctuary, we ought to consider what good architecture does. Good architecture accomplishes three things. The first is utility. The second is durability. And the third is beauty. So first on utility, before we build, we ought to know why we build. The building is intended for the use. Good architecture is usable. Bad architecture is unusable by being either unnecessarily simple or overly complicated. So whatever is built should serve the purpose for which it is built. Houses are, are to be built um, to be comfortable and provide a place and a rest, a place of rest for mothers and children. Barns are built to hold tools and equipment. And it's for this reason we don't put carpet in barns. They're not meant to be comfortable. And this is why we don't have ramps and tool racks in our bedrooms. Those things are both out of place. The purpose defines what is built and what goes in it. So before we begin, we need to remind ourselves that we are building not a home or a barn or a garage. We are not building a theater, a music hall, or a stage for a concert and entertainment. We are building a sanctuary where the God of heaven himself deigns to dwell with us. We're building a place where infants will be baptized, where the poor will have good news preached to them, where the sinners will receive the precious and holy body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. 
So we ought to build something that serves this purpose. The altar, the baptismal font, the cross, the lectern, the pulpit, all of these things ought to have a prominent place in the church because this is precisely why the church exists. We ought to have good instruments to sing good hymns that confess Christ and him crucified. We ought to have good pews with kneelers so that we can gather together the children of God and pray. We ought to have adequate lighting so that we can see what the Lord is doing for us. And we're to build something that is set apart from every other building in the world. We're not building a multi-purpose room. We're building a single purpose room, a place that serves one reason, the justification of the ungodly through the blood of God. Now on durability, we're to build something that should stand for a long time. Bad architecture is temporary and unreliable and disposable. Good architecture stands the test of time. When it comes to building a sanctuary, this attribute is even more magnified. We, we know that the word of the Lord endures forever, but we also know that everything that we do and make will eventually crumble and fade. So our goal is to build something that will hold this eternal word for as long as humanly possible. So we're to build something that stands for generations to come something for our children's children. So we shouldn't be selfish and think only of ourselves and our times and how we can save a little money here and there by cutting corners on what is essential. Rather, we're to think of our brothers and sisters in the future whom we have not yet met, those who will one day be our neighbors in the resurrection. We should think of the dear mothers who will one day carry their newborn infants into a church to the font to be claimed by the father who made them. And so we should hand them an inheritance of a sanctuary that will last. So we build with good quality materials. We don't cut back on the structure and firmness of the building for the sake of mammon. Just as Christ built his church on the immovable bedrock of the gospel, so too we should build our church on a firm foundation. When building a sanctuary, a good rule of thumb is to use natural things like wood or stone or silver, gold, and so on. We simply use the materials that God made to build a sanctuary. And so we should do our best to avoid whatever is artificial. So remember, this is a once in a lifetime event in the life of a congregation. An opportunity like this doesn't come often, but we have only one chance to build a church like this. You can get up and move from house to house and city to city and even change the car you drive, but you cannot do the same with a church. Once it is built, it is built. So not only is this an exciting time for us as a congregation, but it's also daunting and intimidating. We are to set out to do this with fear and trembling, with repentance and faith, and with much prayer and supplication. We are to put all of our thought into this and give the first fruits of our labor and do this for the glory of God who took on flesh and poured out his blood for us. Now on beauty, beauty finally, uh, on beauty. Many agree on the first two points, but this third aspect is what most, have, uh, most people have trouble defining. We're to build something beautiful, something aesthetically pleasing. Building a useful and durable structure is a science, but making it beautiful is an art. And this takes wisdom. We have to build something awesome and magnificent. The question is, how do we do that? 
This is tricky to define for the common person, but the best way to do this is simply to find beautiful sanctuaries and then imitate them. We make good things by copying good things. This is what congregations have done for millennia. There's a reason many historic churches have similar features. They replicated some, the, the same aesthetic in their own sanctuary. Notre Dame would not bring hundreds of thousands of visitors each year if they plastered the walls and covered it in abstract art. People visit sanctuaries precisely because they are different and because they don't look at like a concert or theater or music hall. Sanctuaries were built with height and depth to show the profundity of what takes place in church. The features of the sanctuary point toward heaven and draw everyone's eyes up. When you visit one of these beautiful churches, everyone, everyone's heads are lifted up and they look at all the details and artwork. Even more, when people walk in, they are naturally quiet, Christians and heathens alike. Without saying a thing, these churches command everyone's respect. There are no screens or chairs or disposable and contemporary things. Everything is deliberate and permanent. It's immovable. The ambiance changes people's attitudes. This is objectively true. No, a beautiful sanctuary won't turn heathens into Christians. It won't bring anyone to repent. That is true. However, there is a difference, we have to admit, between holding a service in a beautiful cathedral and holding it in a nightclub. If we have no other choice, then we preach the word of God wherever he so chooses, and his word is as effective in a basilica as it is in a sewer. However, if we had a choice in the matter, wouldn't we want to adorn the preaching of God's word with beauty? Isn't the word of God worthy of a good and durable and beautiful place so far as it depends upon us? We can never build a church that is worthy enough for the Lord, but we can present our best and first fruits like our dear brother Abel, whose blood cried out to the Lord. We shouldn't be like Cain who hoarded the best things for himself. Shouldn't we be ashamed if we spend more money adorning our own homes for ourselves than the house of the Lord for him? Shouldn't we be embarrassed if we hold the greatest treasures for ourselves rather than for the Lord? Certainly we're not to take a vow of poverty and I'm not advocating that, but we should consider and truly examine where our first fruits are going. Art is beautiful when it teaches what is true and good. What good is it to have a beautiful sanctuary, but have it dedicated to the human spirit or to mammon? Art is good only when it teaches what is good. A beautiful painting is rendered ugly if it's teaching a lie. In the same way, if our artwork teaches the word of God, then it is beautiful and good. And so we should choose artwork that teaches the truth. And the same applies to architecture. We want this architecture to teach that there is something bigger than us, something beyond us, something more profound and worthy of our consideration and time than whatever this outside world can sell us. Look, to put it simply, the purpose of making a beautiful sanctuary is this. We want people to say something important must happen here. And we should respond Look, if you think that what your eyes see in this church is beautiful, just wait until your ears hear what is said. 
We build beautiful sanctuaries to adorn the preaching of the word, to call attention to Jesus and what he has done for us. Architects design and build wonderful and beautiful things, and we thank God for all the millennia of work and effort that great architects have put into this science and art. Architects and engineers and construction workers are a gift from God who construct many things for our benefit. However, though all of these things are good and helpful, there can be no greater work from an architect than to build a structure for the glory of God, the chief creator. And this is a most blessed thing. We design something for the one who designed us. And the structure that we create is for the glory of the one who created us. So God be praised that he has given us this great and glorious blessing to build not a manger or a cross, but to build the church where he gives himself to us. The manger and the cross are empty, but thanks be to God, not one sanctuary on this earth ever will be because where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there with us also. So we ought to give our best and so design and build what is beautiful, good, and true. We build churches for the glory of God, who in loving kindness sent his only son to redeem us forever.